This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right. Well, good morning, friends, family, countrymen. Hello. Uh, my name is Mike Mobley. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to be able to do that after the service uh, today. Um, oh, hey, Hampton. Hampton Hall, everybody. It's his birthday today. Woo! <laughs> Didn't see you there. <laughs> Just <laughs> No one's ever going to tell us their birthday ever again after that. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series through the book of Mark. And so you can uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We've been in this series for a while now. And one of the reasons is we not only like to preach through books of the Bible, but we like to do that verse by verse. Uh, because we believe the Bible is 100% God's word. That every word in there is God's word. It's perfect and accurate in every way that it is without error or contradiction. And so it's always gonna be our authority and guide as the church, as followers of Jesus. It should always be my authority and guide and your authority and guide. Because when we think about it, and this isn't really gonna be all about the Bible today, but this is a, this is a crucial reminder. If, if this is all of God's word, and we believe it is, then how much time <laughs> and I'm with you. How much time do we spend in it every day? You know? How often do we feel like that maybe we don't hear from God and, or we don't know what he's telling us in any given moment? Uh, John Piper and some other people have made this phrase popular. I don't know who coined it originally, but they said, if you want to hear God speak to you audibly, if you want to hear the voice of God in your life right now, today, you can read this out loud. These are the very words of God. But it's also more than a book. The Bible says itself, it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through our own motivations. It helps correct us and equip us for everything that we need. And so if our only exposure to the word is on Sundays or maybe once or twice during the week, I, I don't know how, how much we're gonna hear from God, to be honest. And we might, I can't say that won't happen, but we're really not, we're really lowering our odds. And it just kind of makes sense when you think about, okay, an hour or two a week, I'm intaking the word, but we intake so much information every single day. And so I just wanna, it's just a reminder, we have it, this whole thing is God's word, it should motivate us to be in it every day, and maybe even more than once a day. Um, for us. And so if you don't have a paper Bible, we have some in the back at that table. Um, also around the corner at the Connect desk, if you want to grab one. If you have a friend or a coworker or a neighbor, uh, believe it or not, some people still don't have a paper Bible. Uh, grab one for them too. We just want to get a copy of God's Word in everyone's hands. So let's go to Mark chapter 11. That's where we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And while you're turning there, if you remember the last couple weeks, we've had uh, James and John asking Jesus for things that even Jesus himself said, hey, you don't, you're not, you don't know what you're asking here. We saw some kind of selfish motivations, and then we saw that compared directly to the selflessness, it's a hard word to say, uh, of the blind man Bartimaeus, or Bart, according to Corey, who cries out to Jesus, he cries out to have mercy on him, a sinner. And so we're seeing patient, humble examples of Jesus 
still moving towards us even when our motivations aren't even pure to begin with. And so it brings us to chapter 11. So verses 1 through 11, I'm going to read uh, here, and the verses will be on the screen as well. So hear these, the very words of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethagy and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? As someone would naturally ask when you're untying the animal. Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside on the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken so much to us already, that you continue to speak to us today, and you'll continue speaking to us. Would you open up our minds, our ears, and even just our hearts to, to hear you, to know the difference between your voice and maybe our voice or the enemy's voice? Um, God, would you speak through me however you see fit? here in Mark 11 and exactly what this is about, would you work on the hearts and minds of everyone in here, including myself, everyone who's watching, everyone who's listening, and we just want to take our next step of obedience today, and I, I pray that's what happens. We take our next step of obedience today as followers of Jesus, or for those who don't follow Jesus today, would take their first step to become a follower of Jesus today. We love you, and it's by your power and in your name we pray. Amen. So, okay, what's going on here in Mark chapter 11? So first, the rest of the chapters from here on out, from 11 to chapter 16, they're all devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. This actually makes over one-third of the whole book of Mark dedicated to this final week. And some people call it Passion Week. You've probably heard of that in different Christian circles before. And that says a lot because Corey pointed this out last week. Mark is... It's a shorter book, and the author is kind of straight to the point, just kind of black and white. That works out for me, because I have a tendency to communicate like that myself. So that's why when I preach, it's about five minutes long. So in about two minutes, we're going to wrap it up. So you just come on up here. Just kidding. Just kidding. Calm down. <laughs> just stay there, Charlie, and enjoy. Uh, so we have, uh, we have Jesus, and his disciples are getting ready to come into Jerusalem. And he sends two disciples to exactly where a colt is. Colt meaning a young donkey, typically under four years old, for those of you who did not know that about a colt. And to untie it and bring it to him. So, why? Like, if you just read the Bible right there, don't read anything else, why are we talking about a 
tiny little donkey. It, it sounds kind of funny. Like, if it was me and I'm thinking, okay, we're about to enter Jerusalem, like, where's the great white horse? But Jesus says, no, we're going to get this tiny little donkey. This is where reading the Bible comes into play, just like we talked about at the beginning. If you were to just read this part alone, you'd go, okay, cool, you wrote it on a donkey, and you close the Bible and move on. But this has so much more significance. In particular, the Old Testament. The Old Testament that makes up, I don't know, 70 to 75% of the Bible. Some scholars argue it's like 76 or 77%. It doesn't matter. The point is, three-fourths of the Bible. This much compared to this much. And if you notice, we spend a lot of our time reading this much, and we don't really read all of this. There's a reason we have all of this. It beautifully sets up and paints a picture for what the New Testament is all about. So what we're going to see today, this, you'll want to maybe make some notes or take some pictures of the screens. We're going to see multiple areas of Scripture fulfilled as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We're going to see how God stays true to his word and how he's actually in the details of our very lives. Because this event, this moment of Jesus coming in is a huge deal. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels, and it happens during Passover, which means there's about two to three times more the population that's in Jerusalem uh, normally. And so, uh, here we go. Bust out a pen or your phone for pics. So, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament which we could do a whole series on itself. We don't have enough time for that uh, this morning. Basically being the presence of God, it required an unyoked animal. I'll explain what that is in a second because we never say unyoked unless we're talking about eggs. But it required an unyoked animal without blemish because of the holiness of God. So unyoked meaning they haven't been uh, put together in service. You have animals that kind of yoke up, sometimes through the neck. It's a whole thing. Stephen can probably explain it much better than me. Uh, but they haven't been put in service. They haven't been ridden yet, and they're, they're spotless because of the holiness of God, the, the perfection of God. We see that in 1 Samuel 6, 7. We see it in Numbers 19, 2. And yes, there is a reason to read Numbers so if you're in Numbers right now, reading through the Bible in a year, thank you. One person out of the whole room, you know it's a great book when one person claps along. But there is a reason to read it. And then in Deuteronomy 21.3, the true Ark of the Covenant, so Jesus himself, he requires an unridden animal as he enters Jerusalem. Hence the tiny little donkey. Hasn't been put into service yet. And the Mount of Olives that they're uh, coming over as they're coming into Jerusalem, this has huge significance because the same slopes of the Mount of Olives, they were the path of David's retreat from Jerusalem to escape capture by Absalom in 2 Samuel 15. On the same Mount, Solomon grieved God by erecting idols for his foreign wives to worship in 1 Kings. Ezekiel witnessed the glory of God on the same Mount of Olives in Ezekiel 11. Jesus made his royal entry into Jerusalem, just like we're reading right now. The same mount Jesus wept over the disobedience and blindness of Jerusalem in Luke 10. The disciples witnessed Jesus' ascension into glory on the same mount. And then in Acts 1, Jesus said he would come again in the same way they watched him ascend into heaven. And in Zechariah 14, it tells us what will happen when Jesus comes back again from where he ascended. All of these things are not coincidences. 
I was even thinking about this when we were praying for Ukraine. It's not coincidence we're on this topic today. When you think about different arrivals and different thoughts of what people bring to the table to try to assert their dominance, to try to maybe proclaim them being king. These locations, these details, all of these scriptures, and there's going to be more of them, they're all being fulfilled, and they all have meaning behind each and every one of them. Listen, God knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through. He knows the mental strains you could be going through, the pressures you're dealing with, the relationships that are around you. He also knows other fruitful, if you're going through a fruitful season, praise God, that's great. He knows that too. He knows everything that's happening, and he knows what's best. Earlier uh, this week, we had the kids home because on Monday was President's Day. Happy President's Day week to all of you. I'm sure you all celebrated. There's another one person, one, one, uh, one fan of President's Day. So we had them home, and I went and got a haircut on Monday, and so I had Peyton and Matthew with me. Oh, oh. <laughs> For the haircut. Wow. Thank you. It's nice. Um, so we're we're waiting in the lobby of uh, Sports Clips, if you're curious where, where the haircut comes from. Thank you, Sports Clips. They're not a sponsor, so but if they want to be, that's fine. So we're waiting in the lobby. There's TVs everywhere. You all know that you all kind of get the picture. It's during the middle of the day. And so this daytime commercial comes on, which immediately tells you it's going to be an Academy Award-winning production because it's a daytime commercial. And it was one of those, if you've ever seen it, um, it's my money and I want it now type of commercials. They want to know. <laughs> oh, yes. I hate that commercial. That's awesome. So it's basically one of those. If you don't know it, they're promoting. Just call this number. We'll give you free money. And, of course, they don't tell you. It's like a 76.9 interest rate they're going to charge you. They're going to rip you off. It's a bad deal. Don't call the number, Casey, if you were thinking it. Don't do it. So what was funny is we're watching it, and I'm like, okay, I can't believe they're still showing this on, like, who's going to buy into this? And of course, I look over, and Peyton, 100% is like, it's like, we can get free money. It's like, we just, let's call the number. And it was like, oh, sweet Peyton, innocent Peyton. Now, I don't blame her, right? Because she doesn't know, she doesn't know any better. She, she has no idea. And so, of course, I started to explain to her about the 76.9% interest, all the good stuff. Ten seconds later, she doesn't care. I thought we we're having a teachable moment, but she moved on. Doesn't matter. But the whole thing kind of got me thinking, how often do we think we know better versus what God knows what's best for us? Right? How many of these people saw Jesus arriving, and they kind of thought that was, that was the whole picture? Like, this is it. They had no idea what was about to happen. Nevertheless, that what was about to happen is actually better for them. You know, what are you, what are you going through right now that's causing you to question maybe God's plans for your life? It's, it's good to ask him questions. Of course it is. He's a good father. He wants you to come to him, seek him out, ask questions. He already knows what's on your heart and mind anyway. So by not coming to him, you're kind of hiding anyway. So feel free, go to your good and loving father, ask questions. But we need to remember just like how you can't get free money from a commercial, 
it's possible the things we want are not the things God has for us. We need to open our hands and let God establish our steps. He knows, he knows you well. And he, he knows me well. He knows us well. And that, that is a good thing. It's actually, no, that's, that's a great thing for his glory and for our good. Jesus, he's walked everywhere in his ministry with the exception of the times he's in the boat doing ministry. So this is the only time he's proactively choosing not to walk and to ride on an animal, this donkey. It's a fulfillment of scripture again and a declaration that Jesus is king. So in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's with Jesus, it's with humility that Jesus enters Jerusalem. And it's with humility he fulfills scripture and comes riding in on a donkey. There are so many people who want to establish their kingdoms in different ways. And most of them want to display power display dominance. They want to do things like invade. They think that's the way to establish a kingdom. And that's not going to last. And we're all going to see it, in our, whether it's in our lifetime or the next lifetime. Those kingdoms will fall. And Jesus, how does he establish his kingdom? He comes in with humility. How do the people respond in Jerusalem? It says they spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches. All of that signaling peace and them welcoming Jesus. Whether they even understood the full picture or not, they were at least welcoming and they were excited about his arrival. This is the moment Jesus is declaring himself publicly as king. Sinclair Ferguson, it's a real person, by the way. It's a real first name and last name. It's great names. They're great butler names, by the way. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a Scottish theologian, so a Scottish theologian. He says this about the Sinclair Ferguson. We should have named Matthew Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he says this about this passage. He says, we know that what Jesus did in Jerusalem established a kingdom which would outlast all the kingdoms of this world and break in pieces every man-centered kingdom which sets itself against it. Jesus had come to take his throne but had committed himself to begin his reign from a cross. He begins his reign from a cross. It's complete opposite of what we see today and what we're seeing literally today. The people shout Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. That's from Psalm 118, 25 through 26. And blessed, we're talking about blessed is he, blessed is from numbers. There's numbers again in the back. Number six, 24 through 27 saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. All of these things continuing to fulfill what scripture is talking about. Here's some, here's some last references here. I know we're giving a lot of scripture here today, but all this fulfilling scriptures like 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, 
Jeremiah 23, 5 through 8. Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24. Micah 5, 2 through 4. Zechariah 9, 9. And then in verse 11, it starts kind of turning a corner into what happens next as Jesus is looking around at everything and he starts making observations before he moves forward with, we'll say some sweeping changes that we'll learn more about next week. This is often described as Jesus' first coming. It's just what different people have kind of argued and they've kind of coined that phrase. We know he arrived on the scene as a baby, he was born, and some people think of that as the first coming, but there's a lot of people who say, okay, when he publicly establishes himself as king, this is it, this is the first arrival. What I want us to look at today is a comparison of his first coming here in Jerusalem versus when he comes back the second time. And the reason I feel like this would be important for today is just what I feel like the Lord put on my heart is just to slow down, take a breath, and we go so fast. And we're gonna go really fast after the service. Five minutes later, we're gonna go crazy again. We need to constantly kind of slow down and remind ourselves. And right now, we're hopefully not too distracted. And this might take two minutes, but it's well worth our time. It's just to think and let these comparisons sink deeper than just noise and words just kind of bouncing off of us. Because all these things are true. And when he comes again, these things are going to happen. We know by looking back, he came to die. will come to reign when he returns. He came on a little donkey and he's going to come on a warrior horse. He came as a humble servant and he's going to come as an exalted king. He came in weakness, and he's going to come in power. He came to save, and he's going to come to judge. He came as deity veiled, and he will come as deity revealed. He came with 12 disciples. And he's going to come with an army of angels. He was given a crown of thorns. And he will receive a crown of royalty. came as the suffering servant 
and he will come as King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen, whether the people at that time knew it or not, we have no excuse. We know that Jesus being king is victory of life over death, salvation over sin, truth over error, love over hate, forgiveness over condemnation. Jesus being king is victory of life over death, salvation over sin, truth over error, love over hate, forgiveness over condemnation. Have you declared Jesus as your king? Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you and honor you that you are king, that you are our king. Thank you for being king. God, for those who haven't yet declared you as king, I pray that would happen right now that they would know it's not about, for all of us to remember too, it's not about what we do. Jesus is about what you've done. We're never gonna be perfect. Even after we're Christians, we're never gonna be perfect. We might even make more mistakes as we follow you. It's not about that. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would rescue today in this room on this video, on this audio, that we can know, Jesus, we can proclaim you are king, turn away from our sins and choose to follow you for the rest of our life and we're rescued. Just like that. I pray we walk out of here changed. And for those who follow you, we walk out of here reminded. Thank you, Jesus, for the victory. Thank you we get to experience life over death, salvation over our sin, truth over errors, and love over hate, and forgiveness over condemnation. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.